this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. Hello, everyone. We are here with our guest, Joy Kelly. Thank you for being on the show, Joy. It is a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to share some time here with both of you today. Absolutely. So this episode, we are focused on a unique, different topic, accountability in our schools, but really how this is um, intertwined with care and kindness. And really, we couldn't think of anybody better to have this conversation than with you. So TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Joy? Thank you, Joe, for that introduction. Joy Kelly has been an educator for more than 25 years. She has served as a high school teacher, 7th through 12th parochial school principal, and a public high school associate principal, where she was named the Iowa 2015 Associate Principal of the Year. After serving as a high school principal, Joy currently is the head of school at Regina Catholic Education Center, Having been a principal in both public and parochial schools, Joy brings extensive knowledge and understanding of student achievement, community building, student and family engagement, and teacher leadership. Joy believes that the vitality and success of any school rests in the culture of the school community. It's her belief that positive student achievement occurs as a result of the caring and supportive relationships developed among the adults in the school and with the students and their families. Along with Jimmy Casas, Joy co-authored the book, Handle with Care, Managing Difficult Situations in Schools with Dignity and Respect. She's a proud mother of five children and believes that her journey with them makes her a better school leader to the students and staff with whom she works every day. Okay, Joy, we want to dive into this conversation, like Joe said, about leadership, accountability, and how school leaders can both handle a line of accountability while also maintaining an empowering school culture. You know, it's hard to balance the two, you know, putting pressure in the system, but also supporting people to meet those expectations. As you know, the pandemic has created challenges for both students and teachers. What ideas do you have maybe from Handle uh, with Care or other um, situations for school leaders to maintain these high expectations, but also create a culture that helps people thrive? So I think one of the really important things to recognize is sometimes when people hear the word accountability, you know, they equate that with being in trouble, not, you know, meeting the standard, all those things. And in reality, you're really, really excellent teachers and administrators. They want accountability and the accountability for them is not, hey, what have I done wrong? It's more, what can I do to get better? And, and they were looking for that accountability. It's how we address account- issues of accountability. So I think there's basically three human realities that as leaders, we always need to remember. The first one is that everybody has a story and virtually all people have experienced some sort of trauma, pain, or hardship. And that impacts how they think, what they feel, and how they respond to people when they are trying to address issues with them. The second thing that I think is really important is to remember that outward expressions 
don't always align with internal feelings. So for example, a student who is acting out and maybe you know yelling, screaming, F-bombing, comes across as anger. Um, and when you get that student you know, separated from that emotion to calm down, to redirect that student, more often than not, you find out that what's behind that emotion is really some other things. And it's usually pain, sadness, disconnect, whether it's with their own family members or other adults. And so while it comes across as anger, really it's internally, it's sadness and confusion and worry and hardship. And then the third thing that I think is really important to remember, whether it's principals or teachers or superintendents or anybody else, the adults do not always get it right. We don't always get it right when it comes to how we talk to one another, when it comes to how we hold people accountable. Um, and it's just really important that at the core of any of this is gonna be trust. And if you have not taken the time to know your staff, to know your students. And I don't just mean, you know, know their name and maybe who their spouse is or that kind of thing, but you know, who who's the staff member whose spouse was laid off recently? You know, the staff member who has a sister going through breast cancer uh, treatment that you really, really know who they are as individuals inside and outside of the school so that you are able then when other things come up that you have to address, there's that trust and that relationship that they know that when you're addressing something with them, it's coming from a place of care. I think that is really important. Julie, if, if you would, can you dive a little deeper into getting to know everyone's story? Because I, th I think we agree it's, it's incredibly impactful and it's incredibly important, but it's also not always that easy, especially what you're describing. You're talking about going beyond just the hellos and the how are mm -hmm. you and knowing really what's going on in people's lives and how that can be impacting them. How, how can leaders who are swamped, um, who are trying to get through a lot of work um, at, at each and every day, how do they start to really get to know their people? Well, I think it first starts by letting people get to know you a little bit. And this will sound ironic because even though I'm a pretty public person, you know, as, a, as an educational leader, I'm also a pretty private person. Um, but it's striking that balance between, you know, God forbid anybody overshare, but I do think when you expect people to be able to um, come to you, to be able to be free enough to share their concerns and their feedback, a couple of things I would say, one is we have to let them know who we are and sharing a little bit about ourselves is just really important so that, you know, whether it's a mishap that we've had with, you know, one of our own kids or some, you know, situation that you're dealing with. We have a lot of people on staff right now who are raising children and also dealing with health issues with their parents. I'm in that similar situation. And, you know, being able to let staff know to an extent that that's something that's weighing on my heart and my spirit uh, is just kind of important. It can't be something that impacts or interrupts your ability to work and to interact and, and to, to do the job. But I think when they see that in their leader, then they know it's safe for them to share that as well. So that would be one thing I would say is sharing about a little bit about who you are. The second thing is, you know, taking the time and you're right, you know, people are dealing with a million different things and, and leaders and teachers and people are not any different. Everybody's dealing with a lot. But when we take the time to stop into classrooms or when we hear that somebody has been sick, you know, we've been through COVID of course, you know, it doesn't take hardly any time for me to send a text to a staff member and say, hey, I understand 
that you're not feeling very well. Can I do anything for you? Do you need anything? Um, just what a powerful way that that is to connect because now I've recognized, you know, we talk a lot about kids being seen and being valued and being heard. If our staff does not feel that, our students are never gonna feel that. And so that's another way. Feedback would be the third thing I say. Um, I always think that feedback is really, it goes in multi-directions. The traditional form of feedback is top down, right? employer to employee, principal to teacher, teacher to student, parent to child. Well, you have to create the conditions where the student can say to the teacher, I'm not sure I understand that. I'm not sure I agree. Or the staff member can say to the principal or the leader, we're really struggling with what you're asking us to do because we don't see the value in it or we don't understand. We don't see the connection. We have to create conditions where teachers too can you know, share that feedback with one another. So it's making sure that feedback goes in all different levels. We cannot get better as leaders. We can't get better as parents. We can't get better as institutions if we're not willing to hear a little bad news. And so we have to make sure that we are creating the conditions that people can come and say, hey, I'm really concerned about this. I will tell you, I tell my staff, I do a whole thing with them on a, a diagram of like how this all looks. But the thing I always tell them is, look, you can at any time come in and say, Hey, Joy, I'm wondering about, have you thought about, I'm not sure I agree with, I'm concerned about any of those things. When you come in and say, you know, this is a bunch of crap and you suck, that's probably not going to go very well. That is not feedback. That is emotional reaction. Um, and so that's one of the things that you have to be very mindful of is people do have strong emotions, but we have to really make sure that we're looking at the emotion from where it's coming from and help to temper that a little bit so that you can get to the, the resolution that really that they're seeking. So those would be some suggestions I would have. Joey, that's great. And we love the conversation about feedback. As you know, that's one of our bread and butter topics. Um, and I want to yep. stick with it for a second. In terms of feedback, and it sometimes does have to be top down. One thing that you address in the book handle with care that I'd hope you could talk a little bit more about is how to treat student and staff missteps as opportunities for teaching and learning, right? Like mm -hmm. there are times when people mess up and we have to yep. hold them accountable. How can we do that in a way that's not so, I don't know, um, in a way that punitive? doesn't feel so punitive. Yeah, I think yeah. Know, like, leaders yeah. struggle with that all the time. Like these are great people and they're working hard, but they mess up. How can we handle that as with care? I, I think that's one of the most difficult things, or for me it is anyhow, is knowing that in a way my sense of peace is completely dependent on the behavior of other people. And, you know, you can't always control all of that, but you can model, you know, what you wish and hope to emulate. You can model, you know, what those expectations are. You can have those conversations. But one thing I think is really important is that we do treat those missteps or those mistakes or those poor judgments as opportunities for teaching and learning. And to me, there's a big difference between discipline and punishment. And I think sometimes people interchange those terms a lot. And, and for me, punishment is I have the authority and I'm gonna weaponize it against you to punish you and to give you, um, make sure that you know I'm in charge and this is gonna be delivered down to you. Discipline, whether it's with adults or students is, look, I'm gonna give you a consequence here and here's why, it's not to punish you, but it is an effort to get you the next time around when you're in that same situation or you know, something similar that you kind of go back to say, um, 
that didn't work out for me so well last time. And so I need to make a different decision right now. That self-discipline, you know, it's discipline in others so that they can develop their own self-discipline, self-regulation uh, to get around that. And we are all dealing with things, you know, in schools where adults say or do something, you know, that is not well received, whether it's by a student or a parent. Um, in the book, we give an example about you know, a teacher who went into a conversation, it was around the, the election time and they got into sort of a little politics and one student came away from that conversation that feeling like if she had voted for one candidate, she essentially lost the respect of that teacher because of the way the teacher had come across in that. And so the, the parent contacted me about it, was pretty upset and pretty concerned. And the thing that was really beautiful out of that whole thing, first of all, was that the conditions were created that the parent felt like she could pick up the phone and call and say, hey, I'm really concerned about this and, and so forth. But then it's what you do with that conversation. So I say, you know, let me look into it a little bit more. Go talk with the teacher. No way did the teacher intend that. When I revisited with the teacher about, you know, how the student came away based on some of the comments that were made, the teacher said, I can see that, but I did not intend that. You know, that whole difference between, you know, impact and intent, you know, we can have very different intention, but the impact sometimes can be more severe than what we recognize. So then, you know, meeting with the parent and with the student again, and then creating the opportunity for the teacher to meet with the student. So what that does is when you, it takes a lot of time. I think you need to own that. It takes a lot of time because it'd be very easy to the parent call and say, hey, I'll take care of it. Thanks so much. Uh, and that's it. But what it requires you to do is recognize that in that particular instance, that adult didn't get it right, wasn't intentional, but didn't get it right. But it also improves student voice. When a student, even though the student didn't initiate the conversation, by the fact that the student shared it with the parent, and then I was able to follow up with the student, that student felt better about her situation. And it also helped the teacher to better reflect, you know, on, on how that teacher was handling the situation. But the thing when it comes to, especially when it comes to situations involving children, you know, we all get those phone calls where they're not happy, the parent's not happy, I'm, I'm going to the principal, I'm going to the superintendent, I'm going to the school board, you know, that litany. The thing is, I think we get really kind of, um, and part of that's because of the times that we're living in, but I think people like really shy away, like as leaders, we don't want to be on the radar. And I have a whole different view of that. My response to that is, look, if you think that this situation is so detrimental to your child, you know, and we're not addressing it in the way that you need it addressed, you not only have a right, you have an obligation to raise the red flag. So I have no problem. I, you go ahead and contact the superintendent. I can tell you right now, the superintendent's gonna say, well, have you worked with the school? So I would like the opportunity to go through our process, go through our chain of command, let us try to handle it. But look, if when I'm done with this, you say to me, Joy, I'm still not happy about this. I, I'm not offended in the least if you go ahead and contact somebody up, up, up the chain. And I think when you do that, it takes out that power struggle, you know, and I think we get caught in that as leaders. Sometimes we get caught in this power struggle, like, you know, I'm, I'm the one in charge and I'm making the decision. And in reality, I fully will tell anybody, I don't have the monopoly. I'm making all the right decisions. I think I have the right heart, you know, and I think I have the right spirit about this work, but I in no way have the, have the right, um, all the answers, I guess I would say. I will give you another example that for me is, you know, we used to have lanyards and IDs and kids had to wear them. And I had a student who just was, you never saw the kid wearing it. And every time I'd stop and 5,000 times, I swear, I'd say, honey, can you please put your lanyard and ID on? Please put your lanyard and ID on just over and over and over. And then one morning he stopped into the main office. It was about eight o'clock. And I, I saw him, I looked up and I saw he didn't have a lanyard and ID on. And I said to him, please get a lanyard and ID on. 
and he just turned like beet red and stormed out and walked out of the out of the office. I went about my other 500 things I was dealing with and about 8.30, I thought, I didn't even ask him why he came to the office. That kid never comes to the office. And so I looked up his schedule, went, he was in chemistry. I go up, find his classroom and I stand at the door and I kind of motion him with my finger, like, can you come here, please? And he looked right at me and shook his head, no. You know, and I thought, oh great, he's not happy. And so I walked in and I just leaned down next to him. And I said, can you please come out in the hallway with me because I owe you an apology. And he came, he got right up, came out and I said, look, I didn't even ask you what you needed. And I said, I apologize. I was preoccupied with other things, but I said, I should not have led with why you were in a lanyard and ID. I said, whatever you came to the office about, I know you need my help and I wanna be able to help you, but I need to repair this piece first. And I think that's what really we have to focus on. A lot of times we focus on the rule that the adult or the student broke rather than the relationships that were damaged by it. And that's really where we need to focus. There's a tremendous amount there, Julie, that I want to dig into a little further. I mean, you talk about rules versus relationships, intent versus impact, um, discipline versus punishment. You know, these are like very large concepts. They're, I think, easy to understand, but difficult to put into practice this also helps segue a little bit into our next portion. When you're learning, when you're growing, when you're developing your skill sets, like discerning, you know what? The, this kid has already broken this rule 5,000 times, but that's really not the issue here. And I'm going to admit, which was definitely hard, I'm sure, because it's like, dude, I've told you a thousand times, please just do it. You know, we all feel that way at times. But where do you go for like inspiration, for knowledge, a person, a group to help you grow as an individual, to help you see the distinction between what you just described and how you can still prepare yourself as a leader to always be a person of positive influence versus someone just hell bent on rules? I think for me, parenting has been... Um, it can be very sobering in terms of how you handle situations and the fact that I've created conditions in my own home, you know, now with young adult children, you know, who you have to say, Hey, you know, I'm handing these decisions over to you. These are your decisions to make. Um, but I think the insights that they provide, the experiences they have and what they kind of report that their peers are having, I think that to me has been very helpful. But there's also just really good thought leaders out there. Um, obviously, Jimmy and I wrote this book together, and we worked together for 13 years. Um, I have five children. He has three. And we both tell people we have eight children uh, because his, my children are his and his children are mine. I mean, we're just such a, uh, a family of people who really care about one another. And so he and I have really challenged each other in our thinking. And I know if you have not read his book, Culturized, that is just a fantastic book that I would encourage. And then there's other people that especially, you know, right now I'm, I'm the leader of a Catholic organization and really being grounded in my faith and how I am um, living that, how I'm modeling that and how I am growing in that arena. Uh, Sarah Johnson, who's the school administrator, she wrote a book called Lead with Faith and we've used it. I, I'm using it with my admin team uh, as a book study. Um, and we're hoping to get to it here early spring. I mean, we've just been dealing with so much with COVID and everything else, but 
really kind of leaning into what does it mean to be a leader, you know, not just in public settings, but also uh, non-public settings. John Gordon, uh, the energy bus, the power of positive leadership, those that he's just great and really kind of gets you back to thinking about, you know, what's your core? You know, when you have your core principles really set, decision-making becomes really easy. It's when you don't have those core principles in place that it makes it really difficult. And then you're kind of scrambling to make decisions. Um, Sine Bell, she's an administrator in Katy, Texas. Um, she'd be a great guest sometime if you ever ch chose to do that. Uh, she wrote the book, Be Excellent on Purpose. Uh, she's great. And then I'm a huge fan outside of education. I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown. Um, and I always, I love to hear different guests. I listen to different podcasts, but I love to hear different guests whether they're educators or spiritual leaders or business people. Um, I, I think there are people out there in the world that their lived experience helps inform mine. Um, and it just helps me, because almost everything to me is relatable. I, I, I think really in order to really be influenced, you have to really listen. I can be really influenced by a third grader easily, you know, and really be influenced by their, their joy and their um, hopes and their perspectives. Um, we had a fundraiser at my school uh, week ago Friday for uh, Ukraine for Catholic Relief, Relief Services and the basket, the donation basket, whatever. There was a beautiful little note and I tweeted it out. It's a beautiful little note from one of our little ones. It says, you know, dear Ukraine, you know, God's peace be with you. And that was just so touching. And it's also a reminder to me, you can get in the hustle and bustle of everything you need to do, but boy, you got to just take a moment to step back and say, what are other people living and where can we be a source of support and, and hope? So those would be a couple of things. Thank you for that. I was, I was writing all the books of, as fast as I could to get these <laughs> into the show uh, notes and, and link to them. So we appreciate that. Our listeners love um, resources and uh, yes. you provided a ton there. So thank you. Um, and I don't know that we can get through a show without somebody mentioning Brene Brown, Joe. I, we could try, but uh, it just happens naturally every single time we do a show on this podcast or our other um, podcast, Focus Ed. I'm wondering, you talked, you kind of hinted at it. It's a nice segue around, I think, gratitude. You mentioned faith. Mm -hmm. um, some things that you can do to recognize perspective and the way other people are living in the world. Can you say something about, you know, one question we like to ask is, is there something that others should do on a regular basis, on a daily basis that could make a difference in their day or life? Well, I'm a big fan of deep breathing. Um, and not just when a crisis hits or not just when you're feeling anxious or whatever. I think um, calm people are breathers. And I think if you really want to lead people, you have to come from a place of peace and calm. And so breathing and the very slow, deep breathing, I do that every day before I get out of bed. I do it every night before I go to sleep. Um, and I have to be mindful sometimes during the day to do it. But I think that is something that is a game changer for people because it brings down that, you know, that energy that might be overtaking um, and might be overtaking your, your thought process, might be overtaking your decision-making process. And so really trying to bring that um, nervous system down a little bit is really helpful. The other thing that I do, um, every night I ask myself four questions and the four questions are, am I joyful? Am I thankful? 
Am I hopeful? Am I peaceful? And I'm happy to report most days it's four out of four. But you know, when you've been through a situation um, where a staff member has died or a student has died, um, it's 0 for 4 on those nights. And you just know that. But I do think when I ask myself those questions, it's a good check for myself. Like, where am I right now? Where are things a little out of order? Where do I need to bring things a little bit back into order? But also when most nights at four out of four, then that's where gratitude really comes in too, is being so grateful and so thankful uh, for the fact that I am joyful, thankful, peaceful, and hopeful. I think that's really important. Well, you've mentioned a tremendous amount about self-reflection in different ways. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, how do you become honest with yourself? So I could see people saying, you know, the joyful, the peaceful, you know, but you're really expressing that you're really being honest. And like you said, sometimes it's just a check to say, you know what, I got a lot to be grateful for. But did that come natural to you? Or did you go through a process to help you become a little more mindful, a little more reflective, because even a deep breathing, you know, that takes a, mm -hmm. uh, an awareness, like, you know what, I better take a breath right now, because it's easy yeah. to get consumed by that negative emotion. And sometimes you even want to, it's a nice warm blanket of negativity. So you want to mm -hmm. cuddle with it. And you're saying no, you know, you need to regroup, here's some breathing, or at the end of the day, here's four questions I ask myself, did that level of self reflection come natural? Or is it a thing you worked on? Is it a part of your faith? Can you help us understand that a little bit more about you? I would say it's probably a little bit of all of that. But one of the first comments I made in this uh, podcast was that one of the human realities is that everybody's been through some sort of trauma or hardship or pain. And I'm not immune to that. And I think, you know, some of my own trauma, you know, resulted in really having to focus on breathing because things got too overwhelming and too difficult to deal with. And I think as I learned that I got to focus on breathing, it's sort of like, you know, the analogy of the, um, you know, when you're flying in a plane and, you know, the air pressure and the cabin drops, you're supposed to focus on, and the, um, the flight attendants say, parents, put your own oxygen mask on before assisting your children. Well, why is that? It's because you're going to get disoriented and you're going to be no good to anyone else. And I have had to learn that. Um, in order to help my own children through, you know, a difficult trying time for our family, I had to make sure I got my own oxygen mask on, you know, and for me, breathing has been a, a, a really important part. My children joke that my answer to everything is breathe or put Vaseline on it. <laughs> they think that the, that's my answer to everything. And it kind of is true. But so, so I think it originated from that. But now I've been able to help other people you know, utilize that, whether it's a staff member in my office, you know, crying and upset about something they're dealing with or a student struggling, like just to be able to say, hey, can you just do me a favor? You know, when especially when people are so emotional, can you just do me a favor? Can you put your feet on the floor? Just put both feet on the floor. Do you feel the floor? Do you feel that support you have there? Hey, lean back into the chair. Do you feel that support from the back of the chair? And, and when you can give, hey, drop your tongue down to the bottom of your mouth. All of us, you know, especially when we're tense, that tongue goes to the roof of the mouth and, you know, it just adds more tension and stress. And when you can say, hey, just drop your tongue down to the bottom of your mouth, you can literally physically see it kind of come down for people. 
when our neurons are firing in a way that's coming from a place of stress and trauma or um, emotion, negative emotion, it's really hard to think clearly. And when we can't think clearly, we can't start working on solutions. You know, I am, you know, um, I'm naturally, I'm like, I'm more than, you know, the glass is half full, you know, I'm like, the glass is always full, even, even when I know it's not, because I'm going to make it so. Because even though this is challenging, this is difficult, this is hard, I know I've been through things that are more challenging, more difficult, and more, more hard, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out okay, and I'm going to come out okay. And so when I can take a step back and focus on the breathing, ask myself those four questions, it just comes from a place then that helps me be more peaceful. Thank you, Joy. Um, excellent advice. And, you know, circling back to the whole notion of accountability, getting these pieces right, allow for high expectations. Like you said, it, it relieves that stress, relieves um, some of those thoughts that may not be productive and prevent us from doing the right thing or reacting the right way. Um, Joy, you've had a very impressive career. You're still obviously running strong, wonderful book, uh, Lead with Care. What's one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you haven't already? Hmm. Well, I, <laughs> I want to learn how to cook with herbs. That's one thing I want to learn is, you know, just doing a better job with that. Um, and the other thing that's kind of been thinking about, I want to learn how to swim. I, I know how to swim enough so I don't drown. That's, I have five older brothers, you know, and how we learned to swim is they threw us in the pool and we had to kind of fend for ourselves. So I will not drown, but to really have proper technique, you know, breathing techniques, all those things that come from swimming, that's something I'd like to learn. Uh, there's always things within education. I mean, you know, it's one of the beauties about our profession. You know, it's not just every year you get a fresh start or every quarter, every semester, every Monday, you know, every time something has happened, you know, and I've had staff members in my office or students and I'll say, you know, look, this, you're, there's going to be a consequence here, but I need you to know up front, you're going to be okay. And, and no matter what the outcome is here, we're going to work through it. And I'm going to care about you the same way I did before you walked in here today. I'm going to care about you the same way I did before you made this mistake or made this, you know, poor judgment. And I think anytime you can communicate that to people, um, it's just really important. And we're always learning how to do better by people. And I think that's the beauty of education. But outside of that, I want to learn how to cook with herbs. <laughs> I think that the um, learning how to cook with herbs is a, maybe a nice metaphor for other things in life. Also swimming in the deep end. Uh, yeah. either one of those could be, uh, book titles, right? Learning how to cook with herbs or swimming yep. in the deep end. So that's great. I used to teach <clears throat> swimming lessons. So the, the invitation is, is open anytime you want to learn. Right. I'm happy right. to help with that. Um, that's great. You mentioned a bunch of people and books. I was able to connect with them. Um, we'll put them in the show notes. Is there anything else though, for leaders and listeners that you do to support your own leadership and growth that you would say is, is, has continued to help with your success as a leader? Well, I do firmly believe the best PD tends to be in our own hallways. Um, and so I think going to my other administrators and saying, Hey, here's something I'm thinking about, you know, good idea, bad idea, talk through it with me. I think when you really develop thought partners as 
as leaders. Um, it informs your thinking and it helps troubleshoot what might be, you know, you do have to, there's a bit of predictability that you have to be, um, have as a skill when you're in educational leadership, because you have to sort of predict how this might be received by other people. You can't always get it perfectly, but when you're talking to other people who are also um, in leadership positions, I think that really helps. Um, and that's same for true for teachers. You know, when teachers go and watch other teachers teach, it's just, it's a beautiful thing, you know? And I think we as leaders have to create conditions that allow that to happen more. I think one thing that I would say, um, there's a podcast, the Adult SEL podcast. And I think that's a really, that's been a really important thing for me to listen to because again, we can talk all we want about social emotional learning of children and students, but we have to make sure that we are dealing with the adults and making sure that they are getting the skills necessary um, to be able to have their own that's one of the things, I mean, we are doing a lot across the country. People are in, intentionally put in SEL time in the school day, which is great. But we're also automatically assuming that every teacher is e equipped to teach that, you know, and the reality is I would be pretty good at that, but it's not any different than assuming that Joy, you know, if we give you 20 minutes, you can go and teach that physics lessons, right? Well, no, Joy can't go in and do that physics lesson. And we have to acknowledge that not all adults have the SEL skills either. Uh, so working on trying to shore that up and help people in that arena is good. Um, Simon Sinek, A Bit of Optimism is another podcast I would recommend. Um, and, and it's right up my alley because I'm all about optimism, but I, I really do enjoy um, that. I mean, that's terrific. You know, the, the idea um, about us thinking people can suddenly teach something with limited exposure. Mm -hmm. um, we've talked about this quite a bit with mindset work and like Dweck and, you know, I feel like people that became so, you know, powerful so fast and really very popular that I started to wonder how many people were actually reading the book anymore or just listening to things. And then people were like, well, we can teach mindset. And it's like, well, I think we should take a step back. <laughs> Because although I agree, but there's a lot to learn here. And the yeah. same with like the SEL, I hear this time too, like, oh, we can do this. Like, right. But that's kind of like the elementary version. What are we really after? Do we really want to improve people's lives here and really help them be mindful and SEL driven? That takes an enormous amount of time. I'm fascinated when I learn things like Castle, which is a great SEL source, I think mm -hmm. it was started in 96. So people don't yeah. realize that, right? It just really came to fruition in 2020. But Dan yeah. Goldman, who everybody loves his work with emotional intelligence, don't realize how long he's been at that game and his influence with Castle and all of that. So it's just fascinating and a little reassuring to even hear you say that. Like, let's not expect... Um, everyone to be experts uh, so fast. Uh, it's a, it's good to hear you say that. Yeah, and I also will say, you know, all these different, you know, Carol Dweck, Dan Goldman, all the, the work that they've done has been a long haul. It's not, you're right, it's not been something that's been overnight. But the one thing I think it does speak to and the fact that it's kind of taken off more now is I think whether it's culture or generationally, like, People want to have these conversations now. And I think you know, it wasn't that long ago, like we're not talking about feelings. <laughs> wait, 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 what? <laughs> you know, and people were really reluctant. And, and that's where I think there's been a difference between congeniality, which is, 
you know, among educators, hey, you know, do you want a cup of coffee? Hey, have a great weekend. How, you know, was your cake? We're just like that surface. And now people are more collegial. And now we're asking a little bit more, hey, I'm not sure. How, why is it that your kids did so much better on that assessment than mine? I, I need some help here where they're really having conversations with each other, which lends to other things. And I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of. Um, and certainly, and I've always been with staff, but the, the staff I'm working with right now is just how much they really care about each other as people. Um, and, and I think that it opens the door and the ability to push each other, you know, to also get better, which is great. Yeah, no doubt. Excellent points all around. I do agree that it, it helps with working with one another. I think this is why Brene Brown's work is taken off. You know, it is okay to be vulnerable. She teaches that. And I think it just struck a, a nerve with people. Like, I don't have to keep putting up this facade. And Joy, this speaks uh, really to our last question. Um, what's one thing that you used to think that you don't think anymore? <laughs> Well, I don't think that my students have to know every piece of the articles of the Constitution. <laughs> I look back to when I first started teaching, I thought they had to know everything, you know, when I was teaching, you know, American government. Um, and that's kind of humbling when you look back at that time. But one thing I have learned as much as I was focusing on, you know, what am I going to teach them? You know, how am I going to assess them? The reality is there isn't a single kid who remembers me for those things, but they do remember me for how I talked to them. They do remember for how I included them and how I helped them. Um, I talk about this in the book that uh, probably it's been probably 10 years now, I got a call from a student I had in my first teaching assignment um, and called me on a Saturday morning and explained that the student was going through uh, the 12-step process and part of it was making amends. And I remembered the student right away, right when he said his name, I knew who it was. And he just said, you know, you always were trying to help me and trying to be encouraging. You're always so nice. And, you know, I wasn't a very nice person then and, you know, had been a drinker and a lot of difficult situations with the family and so forth. Um, and so you get off a phone call like that and right away. I was like, oh, and, and he, he, so he proceeds to say to me, you know, I just remember that time you said, you know what, when you're ready to be happier, it's going to happen for you. Now, I don't remember saying that to that kid. I, I don't have any idea that I said that. And when I hung up the phone that Saturday morning, I thought initially like, oh, that's so nice. And that's so touching. And that's so yay me. And then it was like within 30 seconds, I thought, I don't remember saying that. Where have I said things to students that hurt them that I did not know, you know? And so it kind of goes back to that whole piece about how we talk about um, people and how we talk to people. Uh, one of my, Don Miguel Ruiz, one of my favorite books is The Four Agreements. And one of the agreements is be impeccable with your word. And impeccable is like excellent. And we're not excellent with our word, but it is really something that I try to make sure I'm very mindful about what I'm saying, how I'm saying it, those kinds of things. And I think when we are more intentional about our words, it's going to be more helpful when we're just kind of, you know, and that's what Brene Brown and the whole piece about vulnerability. Vulnerability doesn't mean you have to go and tell your whole life story, you know. But it, is mean, it does mean that you're willing to share a piece of you to help people understand kind of how you operate and where you come from. Because I think when there's an understanding about people's journeys and, you know, their pathways a little bit, you start to look and say, oh, we have different journeys, but this has kind of impacted us both in the same way. And they start to see more similarities between you as opposed to what's different, you know, or divisive between us. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing I, I would say is... Um, I've learned that punishment and discipline are not the same thing uh, and neither are guilt and shame. 
And I think that's a really important one when I work with students, especially and staff when they make mistakes or have a misstep, you know, everybody has had guilt, you know, gosh, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I didn't make that decision. Everybody has had guilt, um, but shame is in a whole different, and we, inter we interchange those terms, right? We say guilt and shame, or, you know, you should feel guilty about that, or you ought to be ashamed of yourself. That to me, you know, if, if anybody out there listening says to the kids or the students, you ought to be ashamed of yourself or shame on you, you got to drop that immediately. I mean, that is so, um, such a negative feeling and it's something that stays with you and shame really comes from a place of not hey, I feel bad about the decision I made it's like I feel so bad about myself that I'm not worthy of good things happening and when we as adults talk to children that way and use that language with them we are doing a tremendous it's not just a disservice we're doing harm you know I guess I would say first do no harm is our responsibility if you're in the position of using the term shame with kids that needs to stop That's a great place to end, especially on a podcast that started about accountability and, and so much more that I know our, our leaders, our listeners are going to get a ton from. Joy, is there anything else that you would like to add as we come to a close? I don't, but I sure do appreciate the opportunity to visit with both of you and to you know, share some thoughts with your, your audience. And just thank you so much for all the work you do and what you contribute to the profession because um, you know, we all have to help each other to get better. And when we all get better, kids get better. It's a great final message. Thank you, Joy. There you have it, everyone. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs, always on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed this one thing series on how school leaders can maintain a level of accountability at the same time, support a culture of care and so much more with Joy Kelly. Thank you, Joy. Thank you. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Joe, you know what leaders need these days? What's that, TJ? Sleep. A good night's rest. Self-care. We've heard it over and over and over again from our guests on the podcast that you can't pour from an empty cup. Leaders need sleep. One of the number one ways you can replenish yourself and lead better is a good night's sleep. I hear you, but you know what? I'm so tired. I don't even like thinking about, you know, getting a good night's sleep. But, you know, do tell, how do we go about getting better sleep? Well, I think that's part of your problem is you need a better bed. It always starts with the bed. That's why we recommend Ghostbed, our sponsor with 30,000 plus five-star reviews, their patented sleep and cooling technology gets you to sleep faster and longer than any other bed. That's right. And their handcrafted mattresses come with a hundred and one night at home sleep trial and a two times the industry standard warranty. They're absolutely certain that their beds will work for you. And with free shipping, Within 24 hours of your purchase, it's fantastic uh, support from the company. And guess what? Just for being a listener at the Schoolhouse 302, you get 30% off with the use of our code SH302 at checkout. You go to ghostbed.com. You get some sleep so that you can lead better and grow faster. You use SH302 at checkout. 
Absolutely. And last thing, even if you don't need a bed, you're thinking, wow, I would love to try out Ghost Bed, but I just bought a bed. Refer someone else for a bed at ghostbed.com. You'll get a hundred bucks for helping someone else get a good night's rest. Wow. That's 30% off with SH302 code at ghostbed.com. A hundred bucks for your referral. If you get somebody else a good night's sleep, better sleep for you, better leadership, ghostbed.com. You can't beat it. Ghostbed.com. Mm-hmm.